We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Ball loose. Give me one, Lance. Give me one, Lance. Stevenson ties it with 1.6. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly and hits again. Halliburton at the buzzer. Captain Kush with another one. Brogdon goes inside and Turner finishes. Halliburton leaves it off for Batase. Go, go. Good job. Oh, what a move by Heald. He lays it in. Heald. Hotter than fish grease. Drops it off to Jalen Smith with the poster. Jackson the catch. Jackson the basket. Washington again. Five of them. Pacers got the steal. Out running is Brissette. Pounds it home. It to Taylor. Taylor missed it. Tips it in. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. Halliburton going to slam it at the other end. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about our top 10 for our Pacers big board. So it might not be the top 10 players overall that you guys might think, but it's for our Pacers big board. Uh, but before we get into that, I just got to say, Fachi, my guy from West Virginia, Javon Carter. Yes, my guy. Yeah, right. Tore it up yesterday for the Bucks. Love me some Javon Carter, the pride of West Virginia. I'm actually wearing a West Virginia polo right now. That's how much I bleed that, that blue and gold Mountaineers. But look, Javon, that man was cut by, by the Nets, and all of a sudden he's contributing <laughs> on a title contender right now. I'm happy for him. Absolutely. I, I had to get you back for your little jab at me with my wizards the other day on the Saturday oh, yeah. podcast. It'll always be yours. Thought, thought that I wasn't um, on the segment with you. I wouldn't listen, but think again, Fachi. I'm a man who <laughs> follows through. But anyway, let's get into it. Let's start in inverse order here, Fachi. So at number 10 on your Pacers big board, your Pacers centric big board, who do you got? I got Johnny Davis. Uh, I'm going to be honest, not the biggest Johnny Davis fan, but look, Top 10, that is where I see him, right around in that range. Sophomore, 6'5", 195 wing out of Wisconsin. The man lit it up from a scoring perspective this year. But uh, I, I struggle to, to think that – I struggle to believe. So I'm going to go with Johnny Davis as at number 10 over there because scoring is always going to be a need in the NBA, but I, I just can't put him higher than 10. <laughs> I will say this. The good news for the Pacers is they will not be um, able to get the 10th overall pick. The worst they can get to is nine, mm-hmm. right? So I think that you're safe there if you don't want him on your team. And I will say this about Johnny Davis. I have number 11 on my board. Obviously, this is top 10. Um, but that's just my overall NBA big board. I, I just have some concerns about Johnny Davis with his fit with the Pacers because of the style of play that he plays. And we're going to get into that on tomorrow's episode that we're going to release. But you know, there are just some concerning things there with him and his style of play, where he likes to thrive at. And, you know, I, there are some positives to his game for sure, Fach. But at the end of the day, I just don't really see him vibing, number one, with Halliburton and uh, in Carlisle's system. Yeah, I just feel like, in my opinion, a guy like Johnny Davis comes around every single year. Yeah. I just feel like there's always that 
two guard that can score, but maybe not really efficiently. And, and it just feels like, hey, I'm more than happy passing them up and letting someone else, like maybe like the Sacramento Kings or, or someone later on take a, take a shot at him that, you know, it, maybe they can afford that for right now. I think we're a little bit good at the two guard spot. Yeah, so you're going to see a common theme with a lot of the guys that I put on my board here. But for me at number 10, this is where I'm going to probably reach a little bit. I'm going with E.J. Liddell from Ohio State. Um, this is a guy that I've really seen mocked in the in the teens, late teens, probably 15 to 20 range. But, you know, six foot seven, a little bit short, but he has a seven foot wingspan, 235 pounds, 21 and a half years old, averaged 19.4 points per game last year for Ohio State, 7.9 rebounds. 2.5 assists. He shot 49% from the field, which isn't great, uh, but shot 37% from three, which he improved on, and 76.5% from uh, the free throw line. So for me, Liddell is the guy that you can plug in right away. I think that he could potentially start. The Pacers desperately need a guy that can go in there and just guard some people, especially at that four position. We've seen that has kind of been the glaring hole since Thaddeus Young left. Sabonis was put into the starting lineup. It's just been a need for this Pacers team, and while I don't want to reach on E.J. Liddell in the top 10, uh, I felt like with the guys that I'm looking at for this Pacers team and how I would want to go about making my big board, I would have him at number 10. Okay. Yeah, Mark Titus, our guy who came on recently, really loves him some E.J. Liddell. Obviously, they have that Buckeyes connection. But at the same point, you know, definitely someone I didn't have in my top 10. But, hey, I don't blame you for, you know, maybe taking a little bit of a reach. Uh, yeah, I will just say I'll just say this real quick. The, the main reason why is because of the position that he plays. It's not necessarily that I think he's a better overall player than Johnny Davis could be, right? I just think for what the Pacers have, he kind of fits what they're doing more than I think Johnny Davis does. Okay, no, I definitely agree with that. Uh, one guy that could fit a little bit more than you know Johnny Davis, I'd say uh, Terry Eason, and that's that's someone that I know that you like. I have him at number nine. Uh, nine. Sleeping. Falling asleep oh. on him, sleeping. Hey, okay, maybe, go ahead. maybe, but I got, I got him at nine. Number nine, get out of here. Well, I'm gonna have to hear where you have him, but <laughs> at this point, look, I'm gonna go into it. I thought he took a massive step forward this year after transfer from Cincinnati. I, I, I don't, you know, I'm trying to figure out maybe necessarily what he does extremely well, but what I can sum it up is that he does a lot of things very well, and I feel like he's someone who very versatile. Really good, you know, defensively, I feel like there's a lot that over there that he can continue to develop in. I think he showed a lot of great stuff defensively this year. Uh, you know, you obviously you have him higher, so I'm going to be curious to hear where, you know, about what you love about him, but also can play the three, can play the four. I feel like this is someone right now that maybe we could see rise in the draft. Maybe I'm just sleeping on him, but overall, Terry Eason, 6'8", you know, play the three, play the four, and I'm really excited about him. No, I got a draft crush on Terry Eason. I'll talk about him when I get to him. But I will say this real quick. The fact that he came off the bench for LSU is just fascinating to me and put up the numbers that he did. So um, I'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, but I, I do want to move on to my number nine here. Um, it's the same position <laughs> as a Terry Eason. And if you look at his numbers, you're like, Ugh, what do you like about this guy in terms of his uh, percentages? He only shot 47% from the field. Uh, you know, it's not bad, but you prefer like in the 50% Tile, you know, that's where everybody thrives at, obviously. But 47 is actually pretty good. Uh, 29.6 from three, Fachi, which is pretty gross, and 58.9% from the free throw line. Um, he only oh, averaged you me out. He's only he only averaged nine points a game last year, 6.4 rebounds and one point assist. This is Jeremy Sohan from Baylor, eight, 19 years old, six foot nine with a seven foot wingspan, 230 pounds. Look, this man offensively. He's got a lot of work to do, but I'm telling you, defensively, he might be one of the best defenders, if not the best defender in this draft class. And I, I think there's a lot of comparisons that have been made out here to Sean Marion. Look, I'm just looking at this Pacers team overall. Obviously, with a offensive team that you want to have spread on the floor, he might not be the perfect fit. But I think what he brings to a team is just incredible defense. And I like his edge, Fachi. I've talked about this before, so that's really the reason why. I think he will set a tone with this team. He will bring an edge that you cannot really put on paper and say, oh, here's the stats and here's that. No, he just has a ton of heart, and that's what I love about him. I mean, I don't know if he's actually the most talented prospect. I actually think that there's a chance Kendall Brown has a better NBA career than him, and I don't have him on my top ten, and he played at Baylor with him. 
But when Baylor came back and almost beat UNC after being up 20 plus points, it was because of Sohan's ability to just impact the game on the defensive side, which led to offense, which led to them really, you know, getting back into the game. And of course, uh, Brady Manick was someone that he was guarding and he just kept pestering him the whole game. Manick finally had enough and got ejected for a flagrant too. So with that being said, I kind of like a guy that's got some edge to him and maybe that's a little bit, uh, you know, reaching here a little bit once again, but 19 years old, I like the upside. Definitely energetic, definitely a pesk defensively. I feel like he's, you know, viewed as one of the top defenders in this draft. So I had him just outside of my top 10, someone that I debated at 10, but like when it came to a guy like Johnny Davis, who was far more polished offensively, it was hard, hard to leave Johnny Davis off the list for me. So um, yeah, that's why I had so I'm just right outside of that, but I can't knock that one pick. I also know that, you know, you have started to develop a little bit of a crush on him. So I could definitely see that for you. Yeah. Uh, moving on next for me at eight, I have AJ Griffin. Look, All there's right. something about AJ Griffin that I just have not been able to really sink my teeth in and feel kind of in love with him as a lot of times I've seen him mock to the Pacers. And I just, to be honest, didn't feel good about it. Small forward, six, six wingspan, seven foot. Look, lights out shooter. Showed some at times, looked elite at times, looked kind of non-existent. So AJ Griffin, I know he had that, that knee injury coming, you know, into the season, basically right around preseason, ironically grew up uh, somewhat close to right where I lived in New York, but you would think I'd have more of a soft spot for him, but yeah. I don't. So here's the thing, shot 44% from three, it was great, nearly 50%. And this is also on a team that, you know, featured Paulo Bancaro. So you're not going to get that same shine. So Maybe this is that his numbers will not show the full story, but I just feel like overall does a few things well, but there's still a lot of, I don't want to call them question marks, but a lot of stuff that I don't know what, who we can really compare him to on the next level. Um, I saw one thing that basically had, you know, in terms of an NBA comparison, had Jamal Mashburn on there. And I was like, well, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if I see him as a Jamal Mashburn. So, <laughs> You never want to, you never really know about these NBA comparisons, but I got AJ Griffin at eight. Yeah, just go back and look at the biggest draft misses and, and look at their comparisons, and you might get a good kick out of it. But yeah. yeah, AJ Griffin definitely for me is number eight on my board as well. And I think part of the reason why I do have him a little bit lower because we talked about him, I think throughout the year, I was kind of intrigued by him. Obviously, his father, Adrian Griffin, is a coach in the NBA and played in the NBA. So he's got that experience being around someone that knows the NBA pretty well. But 44.7% from three this year, Fachi. I don't know if that's the best in the in the draft class, but I wouldn't be surprised if it is. I mean, it's it's really nice. He's got a great body, you know, six foot six, seven foot wingspan, 220 pounds. That's something that's really uh, hard to teach, you know, just having that physical trait to him. You know, there's been some comparisons too, uh, uh, as well with Adrian Griffin, Jimmy Butler. And Jimmy Butler uh, is a guy. That would be much better of a comparison. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the reason why is they kind of have a same build. And kind of, they're not like super quick. I wouldn't say Jimmy Butler's like a super quick guy, but he uses his strength to kind of get through uh, the the defense, the teeth of the teeth of the defense. Good grief! And you know, that is what I like about Griffin. I don't necessarily see him as like a major driver, but there's been games where he went off for Duke this year. Yep. But that Duke team was loaded, like you said. So, with having so many good players on that team, he had to share the wealth a little bit. I think that the biggest concern, though, obviously, is that knee injury. Can the Pacers take a risk here in the top 10 on another guy with an injury history? I would prefer not to. If they fall back to eight or nine, I'm okay with it, right, at this point. But um, in terms of the top five, top six, top seven, I just feel like it's a little bit too risque for him. But if he can stay healthy, I think that this kid could have a really good career. I really do. I think he's going to be a better pro than he was college player. But just to kind of bring up some of those games where it felt like it was kind of hard to even remember him being there. I mean, there's a lot of games like against Michigan State, just seven points against UNC to end the season. He goes one of seven for just six points. There's a couple other games where, you know, to start his college career, I mean, against Kentucky, two points. Next game against Army, two Campbell three, Gardner Webb five. So it was a really slow start before it really came on. So when you're taking a guy, you know, in the top 10, 
you don't want to see him go scoreless in any games. And, and that is what happened in, in a few instances or instances where he scored two to five points. But for A.J. Griffin, the potential's there. He'll be a better pro. But for right now, I wouldn't be in love with the Pacers picking him at anything higher than eighth. Yeah, and I will just say this real quick on him, Fachi, before we move on. I will just say that, to me, I don't see him as – that star that you're putting on your Either roster. It's Either a, it's, it's a really good complimentary player mm-hmm. um, that, that could be in the league for a while. But before we move on to our number seven, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and do our seven, six, and five before we get into our top five. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so for number seven over here, I'm going with a guy that you're going to hear a little bit more about soon, and that's Benedict Matherin. Right. I, have, I have him right over here at number seven. This is someone that you heard me bring up a few months ago. I liked him, and I watched a little bit of his game you know, earlier on, like that December, January, really started to like him, and then it kind of carried on through the March Madness and all that. This is a big-time athlete, shot maker, like – Size, athleticism, he's got a 6'7 wing. I mean, I, I'm really excited about him. Good score. I feel like he can continue to grow defensively. Um, I, I feel like overall, I mean, this is this is someone that I'm very intrigued about. He had a dunk through March Madness, which just yeah. kind of sent waves, I feel like, through everybody. It really put him on the radar for a lot of people. <laughs> but also, when Arizona was the number one seed, Benedict Mathurin is the guy that's carrying this team. I mean, this is this is the guy on, you know, arguably the team for a while. I know Arizona didn't get the job done in the end, but I, I feel like overall, to me, he translates as a real good scorer on the next level compared to, you know, some of the other guys where we know, hey, offensively, they're not as polished. I feel like Benedict Mathurin is someone who took a big leap from his freshman year to his sophomore year and is viewed as one of the top two guards in this draft. Yeah, no, he's definitely an interesting prospect. And I have him a little bit higher than you do, actually. And we're going to be talking about him on our podcast Tuesday, where we talk about him and Johnny Davis. So a little spoiler there for you. If you're listening to this, we're going to be doing a draft duel where we look at both players and talk about both of them, obviously. I think you guys will notice that me and Fachi both have Matherin higher than Davis, but I still think that looking at their body of work through college is something that's going to be interesting. But yeah, um, everything you said about Matherin, I completely agree with. I will talk about him when I get there, but I do think that Matherin is a special talent. And um, just real quick, do you get the similar vibes that I do when I watch his tape? I just feel like I see maybe a little bit taller Victor Oladipo. Mm, I like that. I mean, you can't argue with that. I mean, I guess I could see a little bit of flashes on that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one, one, one compare and look, these, these comparisons are all out there. I saw uh, NBA draft.net had an NBA comparison of Jason Richardson and Jason Richardson was a good player for a while. Not, not Oladipo ish, but no one's going to argue with Jason Richardson type. Hey, you get a player like that. That's a good player right there. Yeah. And I think Richardson went number five in the draft that he was taken to the Warriors. It was a little bit of a surprise there too, but you know, six foot seven, six foot nine wingspan, um, not super long compared to his height, but I still think um, those are pretty long arms and defensively you guys, Probably saw some of the highlights that he had in college. But for me, number seven, I know this is probably going to annoy some people, but this is where I have Keegan Murray. Um, it was hard to put a guy at seven that only averages – not not only, but that averages 23.5 points per game. Uh, you know, I just started talking and I was losing my train of thought. But 
Average 23.5 points per game in the Big Ten, 8.7 rebounds per game, 1.5 assists per game. Shot 55% from the field, 39.8% from three, 74.7% from the free throw line, 6'11 wingspan, 225 pounds, six foot eight. Alex, how can you have him at seven and not higher? Maybe it's because I'm an idiot, or maybe it's because I don't know if his ceiling is going to get any higher than it already is. This is my only concern. I think he's a good defensive player, Fachi. I think he's going to be a fine pro. I just don't see the ceiling for this guy, you know, reaching the apex some of these other players could potentially reach. And I think that's what it comes down to in the draft. You have to hit on potential. But like I said, maybe I'm just a complete idiot and I'm overthinking this. Hey, that, that's what anyone analyzing the draft does. We all overthink. Sometimes we see stats and we go, those are too good. Those can't translate. And with Murray, we're looking at a guy who really did light it up. And what more could you have asked for to the point where, Alex, he's number six on my list. So, okay. You know, r- right after that's how close we are. You know, I'm not going to rehash the same stats that you went through, but they, they jump off a page. His advanced metrics all translate to being elite. You're talking about true shooting percentage, just under 64%. I mean, he's incredibly efficient. On on the NBA level, they project him as a 36% three-point shooter. So it's to say that it's not a fluke. If you went by, I mean, it depends how invested you are in advanced stats. They have him as incredibly ridiculous as it relates to an offensive rating of 134.6. I mean, just jumps off the page. Keegan Murray did a lot. One thing that worries me is Luca Garza was one of the, I believe, with the National Player of the Year at Iowa just the year before. And part of me wonders, hey, is part of it this kind of system that they're running a little bit? But when you shoot that elite, it can't just be a system. This well, man's a 40% shooter. I think they're different players for sure. And I think Garza is more of a five where Murray can play the four. Don't really see him playing a lot of small forward, but if you want to yeah. get weird, let's let's see, like, throw him, Miles, and Isaiah Jackson out there. Like, okay, <laughs> like, let's see it. Hey, look look at what the Bucks are doing. Giannis, Portis, and Brooke Lopez. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the, that's another thing, too. Like, he's got the size to maybe potentially size, guard sure. a guy like Giannis. Not saying that's what you want, you know. Uh, you, nobody can guard Giannis, right? No. You definitely yeah. want some of that can, but, yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a fair point. I, I think – do go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say real quick, like when you're talking about being able to guard Giannis, look, I don't know who actually can. I hate <laughs> when people ask us who's going to guard Giannis. No one's going to guard him. We're going to put bodies on him, but I don't yeah, know who's yeah. going to have any success. But yeah, this is someone that I feel like if you say, hey, NBA ready, I feel like Keegan Murray could step in and contribute on a bunch of teams rather yeah. than it being a whole process of, hey, he's a year away, where some other guys, they might be a year away. I feel like Keegan Murray can step in there and he can shoot. He's got size. I feel like he fits teams. I mean, hey, you could even make an argument that he fits the Pacers pretty well with what they're looking to do. Hey, if you're going to keep, you know, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a four who can shoot. And I, I just think that, hey, and rebounding-wise, no slouch. Average just about nine rebounds per game, two blocks. I mean, right over there, the Pacers would have a ton of shot blockers. Yeah, and I'll just say this real quick. I've seen this comparison to him a lot when I've looked at different, you know, places that cover the NBA draft. And Al Horford is a name that continuously gets brought up. And look, I'll just say this. I wouldn't be mad if Al Horford, like if an Alfred Horford like player was on my team. And if Keegan Murray can be that, you know, defensively like Al Horford, I mean, and then with a better shot, I would be fine with Keegan Murray on my Pacers team. It's just not my first choice, if that makes sense. So that's uh, it's one of those things where it's like I wouldn't be mad if he was a pacer if they were in the six to seven to eight range and he fell to him. Then yeah, why not? I think he's a good enough player that he could uh, easily go in the top seven. But at the same time, it's like there are guys that I think have more potential than him, and that's just where I'm where I'm at with it. You made a great point by saying was Keegan Murray more likely to have reached his potential compared to other guys that we haven't named yet where it feels like they have a higher ceiling mm-hmm. for sure. But also as it relates to that Al Horford comment, people nowadays might be like, Horford? Oh, but Al Horford used to be an all-star. He was also, you know, on the Hawks as an all-star when they were the number one seed. And that man's from the 2007 draft, same with Kevin Durant and everything, and he's still contributing winning basketball. So 15-year career, it's not bad. Not bad at all. 
All right, I'll go on to my number six, and this is where I have the LSU standout, Terry Eason, 16.9 points per game, 6.6 rebounds. If you guys remember on Twitter, I did put out my top seven. I originally had him at five, but I I slid him back one because I found another player a little bit more interesting and potentially with a higher ceiling, and I'll get to that at number five. But Terry Eason, to me, 16.9 points per game off the bench is, like, just so impressive. He's 21 years old, transferred from Cincinnati, has seven foot wingspan, 215 pounds. Like Fachi said, you know, he can guard threes and fours, but I think he can guard one through five. I think, um, I think he might be a better defensive player than Jeremy Sohan, but I don't think he has the same edge that Sohan has. So it's more of like a, uh, uh, a cleaner defensive player. I don't know how you want to say it, but he doesn't muck it up as much, I guess, but he still does that. I mean, if you watch his tape so many times, his defense leads to offense and he shot 52% from the field, 36% from three, not on a ton of attempts, though, but 80% from the free throw line. So his shooting numbers to me are incredibly better offensively than Jeremy Sohan. So this is why I like him so much, because I feel like he can incredibly impact the game. And I think his ceiling is really high because of his defensive upside. I think he's a better defensive player than Keegan Murray because of his ability to guard one through five. I know that's going to be incredibly hard to guard point guards on switches, but I just believe in in this kid a lot. I've brought up Patrick Williams as a player comp before several times. Everybody knows how impactful Patrick Williams was to that Bulls team and how much they believe in him moving forward, that they wouldn't even trade him for a Jeremy Grant this year. So, you know, I just see a lot of that with Eason. Um, I had to do some more research, but just watching his film, Fachi, I am just blown away with his ability to just – have such an impact on the defense side of the ball. So that's what I love about it. I mean, you all described some, some great things right over there. So Terry Eason, maybe someone I'm sleeping on. We'll see, uh, see how he continues to rise up in the draft. But moving over next, number five on my list, Shaden Sharp. I mm. mean, look, 6'6", 200 pounds. I, you know, they just said that he had a 49-inch vertical, which would be like, I want to say like the me. highest – the highest that's ever been. I mean, someone said that Michael Jordan's vertical was like 48, and that was one of the highest they had tracked. So, I mean, right now, his potential, I feel like, has to be top three, top five in this draft. Mm. I really do, because we're mostly going off of potential. I can't uh, I can't go over here, and I can't throw <laughs> out stats at you, because, one, who cares about his high school stats? But, two, there is no college stats. So, Right over now, I don't know who you can really accurately compare him to, but what I do know is I'm extremely excited about the idea of Shaden Sharp, and if the Pacers are to take a home run, Shaden Sharp's got to be towards the top of your list because you don't have a chance to get talent like this often. And, hey, could he end up being a bust? Anything's possible, but could he end up being a really special player? The answer is yes. Yeah, I have Sharp higher than five on my board. I'm going to go here with number five. This is where I have Benedict Matherin. Uh, We already talked about him quite a bit, but um, when I talk about him more on our podcast, we're talking about him and Johnny Davis, I think you're going to fall in love with his story a little bit more. So I don't want to spoil that for that podcast, but he's got an incredible story, an incredible work ethic, and I am intrigued by what he can become. The fact that he led that Arizona team, I mean, by far the best player in the Pac-12 this season. And if you just look at the Pacers draft history, they like Pac-12 players. UCLA guys, they've drafted over the last couple of years, Ani Bogu, Aaron Holiday, TJ Leaf, and then, of course, Chris Duarte last year. So they definitely have their eye on the Pac-12. Um, I think the Pac-12 is an interesting style of play. A lot of it's run and gun. I think it's more similar to the NBA to a certain degree. So maybe the Pacers like that. Obviously, they love Victor Oladipo, somebody that they would have preferred to keep if he was healthy, obviously, and made everything work out. But if Matherin can be maybe a little bit taller, Victor Oladipo, then that's that's enticing as well. But, you know, the fact that he's six foot seven, has a six foot nine wingspan, I think you can play him at not only the two, but the three. So just getting a guy with that athleticism, though, in the offense with into this lineup, not just the offense, but the lineup to me is what this Pacers team desperately needs. Is that just more elite athleticism? Yeah. I mean, Hey, I, I'm intrigued. I really am. Uh, moving over next for four, uh, you know, not the sexiest pick, maybe not the sexiest man, but we're going with Chet Holmgren over here. Now <laughs> this is, 
A seven footer. Now, unfortunately, I wish he wasn't a string bean, but at 195 for seven foot, it's not ideal. But the seven six wingspan is something to be excited about. Chet, he can't argue he is boomer bust, but the upside is very intriguing. Could have the highest upside in the draft. Could, but at this point, it's really hard to determine. If you want to just look at college, he dominated. I mean, right now, you're not getting a guy that averaged maybe, uh, you know, 25 points or anything of the sort, but you're getting someone that averaged 14 points, 10 rebounds, elite rim protection, just under four blocks per game, shot 60% from the field. But the difference is he's a seven footer that can really hit threes, 39%. All of his numbers, you know, from a, a field goal percentage translate very well to the next level. The thing that I worry about is it's so hard to put your finger on this guy and say, Oh, he'll be like, it's really hard to determine. So right there, I don't know if you are getting yourself a franchise player, but Chet, arguably the number one pick in the draft, falling to four is good value. Yeah, so like we said at the beginning of the podcast, this is a Pacer-centric big board for us. This is what we think the Pacers should do. And I don't have Chet Holmgren on my top 10. Um, I know that's probably going to be controversial. A lot of you like Chet. A lot of you guys are torn on Chet, but would still have him in your top 10. Um, I think if there's a team out there that loves Chet Holmgren, um, then you consider that you'd maybe take them and then trade back and see what other, you know, draft picks you can get. But I, I think when it comes to Chet, I just feel so like, I hate to say it this way. I just don't feel good about him. They're just a gut feeling. I just don't feel like he's going to pan out to be a great NBA player. I think there's a lot of like question marks with him. And I understand the same can be made about Shaden Sharp. But at the same time, we're talking about an elite level athletic guard here that was going to go to Kentucky. We're not talking about someone that's not super athletic, but someone that's kind of just a weird basketball player, but like put up really good numbers. So I also wonder if the conference he played in was necessarily uh, some, I don't know if it like helped inflate his numbers a little bit to a certain degree, playing less competition, but I just have that memory of him in the NCAA tournament against Jalen Dern, a guy that was much more physical, much bigger than him and how it impacted him. Look, I understand you can make every argument that you want that Chet is an elite level player, but I just don't necessarily think he can guard fives in this league. I think he's too small for that right now. And yes, I'm not, body shaming or whatever you want to call it. I just don't buy it for me, Fachi. So um, I don't have Chet in here. Um, I don't know if you want to rebuttal to that, but it's just, it just, I'm a little bit nervous and I don't think the Pacers from the intel that I've heard are, are that enamored with Chet. No, look, I'm not going to, I'm definitely not going to plant my flag and, and be like, I'm willing to go to war for Chet Holmgren. I, I feel like this is someone who could be special, could, but I, I just like you, I find out it's very hard for me to envision him being a franchise guy. So for right now, look at number four, like I said, there, there's, there's, I have three guys ahead of him. I struggled wanting to put Shaden Sharp above Chet Holmgren. And I, I feel like if you want to go in terms of safe, I think that Keegan Murray is a much safer pick than Chet Holmgren. But I think that people are going to have a hard time passing up the value of, of Chet if he falls, you know, even past two. So the yeah. Pacers, you know, hey, look, we, we got a couple centers right now. We'll see what happens. But there is some mystery of after next year, Goga and Miles Turner, they're both uh, up for free agency. So not that Goga's really going to factor in here, but we'll have a whole lot center. Neither of them or their contract should factor into the Pacers, okay. take him or not. But uh, agree. for me, number four here, before we take a quick break, this is going to shock people, but I've dropped him a spot, Fachi. It's Jaden Ivey. Uh, 17.3 points per game, 4.9 rebounds per game, 3.1 assists per game. Shot 46% from the field, 35.8 from three, and 74.4 from the free throw line. I love Jaden Ivey, but I did drop him a spot. I'm, I'm sure Pace fans are like, how can you drop him to four? Um, this is just what I think. I think from the intel that I've heard that Sharp to me, um, a guy that you talked about has a seven-foot wingspan, Ivy's is just six foot seven. I feel like Ivy is kind of limited, in my opinion, to playing just one or two. So that could be somewhat interesting. But 
you know, I think that he has a really good player. I would absolutely love him if the Pacers drafted him, and I have no problem with that at all. I think he's a really intriguing prospect and would love to see him playing for his hometown. And I've seen him actually mock to the Pacers at even five sometimes. Um, so, you know, I don't really know where he's going to fall exactly. I think he was clearly the best guard in college basketball this year without question. The Pacers would be getting a slam dunk pick here and an incredible athlete. Um, but, yeah, I just um, I feel like I'm really excited about him but I'm not as excited about him as I am someone else. So I'm going to spoil at three, but uh, uh, that's where I'm at with the Fachi. Okay. Well, Hey, I mean, I don't blame you. I think that, you know, we all went from really being head over heels to on Jay Ivy to, you know, there's been a couple other guys that have trickled in the mix that have maybe had the love spread out a little bit. So it's definitely getting intriguing, but, uh, you know, I still have a few more names that I need to break out. <laughs> yeah, so let's take a quick break. We will come back and reveal what you guys probably can already guess, our top three right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. All right, Fachi, number three, who do you got? I got Jay Nivey. I okay. got a guy that we were just going through, man. I tried to keep it a secret. Didn't want to say anything, but I've really wanted Jay Nivey to the Pacers. Now, I'm not going to put him higher than, than you know, where he should be. Uh, I've seen on a couple of big boards that I have seen him number one. I can't say how reputable they are, but this is – the best guard in the draft, in my opinion, or at least what we've seen. Shaden Sharp, obviously, that's yet to be determined. We're talking about a 6'4", 200-pound sophomore out of Purdue, you know, right down the road for the Pacers. I believe that they'll know him quite well. Uh, I explosive. I, I, you know, anytime you're getting compared to John Morant, I'm sorry, but you got to be extremely intrigued. So, in my mind, I, I do feel like he is the best guard in this draft, and when the Pacers want to you know, break the old habit of the double bigs, and maybe you want to pair someone special with Tyrese Halliburton, I think this is your opportunity. Just a little bit of a rundown. Jaden Ivey averaged 17.3 points per game this year, a hair under five rebounds, 3.1 assists, so it's not like he's by any means, you know, this point guard that's going to clash with Tyrese Halliburton. Does he need the ball in his hands? Yes, he does. He shot 46%. He shot 36% from three. That started going down in the beginning of the year. That was higher. And I definitely did feel better about maybe kind of how he started the year rather than than how he finished it. But overall, I I left very excited about Jaden Ivey. And uh, that's why I have at number three. I don't think any Pacer fan is going to be upset if Jaden Ivey is wearing blue and gold next year. I don't Um, think so either. (laughs) I wouldn't be upset. I think Jaden Ivey is really fun. And yep. if we take him, I'm all in. Don't, don't get me wrong. Just because I might like someone else better in the draft class uh, doesn't mean I won't be all in on him. But, you know, I, I said my piece about Jaden Ivey. I don't want to continue to hash it too long. But I'll move on to my number three. No surprise here. Um, <laughs> joined Kentucky in the second semester. Did not play any games for Kentucky. In fact, they probably could have used him out there on the court. But I think it only is Definitely. going to help his draft stock, the fact that he didn't play because it continues to be the unknown. And so I think you had Sharp at five, if I'm not mistaken. So I did. Mm -hmm. I have him at number three, and I'm just telling you, I put it out on Twitter yesterday, so I'm I'm having a hard time trying not to fall in love with different prospects, but I have fallen in love with Shaden Sharp, very similar to how I fell in love with Moses Moody last year, Fachi. Um, I just believe that there is so much potential here I think that, like I said, six foot six with a seven foot wingspan, 200 pounds. Yes, he can add more muscle, but I think there's a way that you could play him, Duarte, and Halliburton together, be switchable on defense. I need to see more 
with his game. Obviously, you can't tell based off his highlights in high school. But the kid can shoot the ball from way out deep. He's got a good handle. He can create his own shot. He can. He's not like a super athlete. I, I think that that's kind of one of the things where people are like, oh, my God, he's like so athletic. It's like, no, he's pretty athletic. There's a lot of plays where he's kind of like cutting back door against his own defense in high school or even a man defense where someone falls asleep on him for some reason if he's off ball. And him cutting back door and catching these, you know, oops. I mean, he's athletic for sure. But I think Ivy might have more athleticism to his game. So I don't know if he's as quick as Ivy, but I definitely think he is a smooth basketball player. Would love to know more about him. I'm really curious to see how he does at the draft combine, how he does in his Pacers workout, how he talks and everything. That could change things for now, though. If I'm the Pacers and I've got pick number three and I'm picking between Sharp and Ivy, I'm just getting Reggie Miller and Steve Alford vibes all over again. Oh, wow. I'm, take, I'm taking Sharp, and the hometown hero gets passed over. Fans go crazy. They are just elated because they're like, oh, we should have got Ivy. But, no, I think Sharp, to me, is the best guard in the draft. It very well could be. You can make a, a strong argument that he's got the most potential right over there. I mean, that's what he is. He is he's, he's chock full of potential. But, hey, I'm with you. If you're talking about swinging for the fences, you're probably swinging for Shady Sharp. But he, it seems like you can't go wrong. And in this instance, the Pacers might almost be better off just having someone else make that decision for you, man. Whoever falls to us, I think it should be between those two, or at least those are the two I'm hoping it's between. Yeah. But moving over next to number two. Alex, I struggled. I went back and forth and back and forth. And number two, I have Paolo Bancaro. I have him as power forward out of Duke, 6'10, 250. He, he's got that, he's got that NBA, you know, size to him, that frame. Just a 6'10 wingspan leaves me not that thrilled, though. I, but I do feel that he's an extremely safe pick. Almost feels like he's guaranteed to be, I don't want to call him an offensive force. But definitely seems to be like a guarantee on the offensive side of things that you're going to get a good score over here. I think that he'll develop into a three-point shooter as time goes on. Averaged over three assists in college, so it makes me feel like he's got playmaking capabilities. Uh, and what I really loved about him was I felt like in March Madness, when Duke needed a basket, he could go out there and just get it compared to a few other guys. Like when you mentioned Chet Holmgren, where it just seemed like he was stifled. And when Gonzaga needed him, he was nowhere to be found. Well, for Bencaro, this is someone that on the season averaged 17.2 points, just under eight rebounds per game. He shot 48% from the field, shot 34% from three, which leaves you more to be desired. But I do think that that part of his game could eventually come. Um, but overall, he was a big part of the reason of why Duke had the success that they did in that March Madness tournament. So I left intrigued. Yeah, so um, here's what I'll say about Paulo Bancaro. I think that he is a different basketball player than Jabari Smith, who I have at number two. And I have Paulo at number one. Obviously, you have Smith at number one. So uh, spoiler alert, you guys figured it out by now. But yep. the reason I have Paulo number one is I just think He's not the uh, elite shooter from outside, which I think he'll need to work on. But I like his playmaking ability. I like his size. 250 pounds, Fachi. He can go be playing around with people. He can be able to take him in the post. He'll be able to just be more of a dynamic force. I've seen some comparisons for him to Jason Tatum. I don't know if I see that quite yet because I think Tatum is yeah, more of, of an elite scorer. But I do think that the um, Blake Griffin comparisons are pretty good without being as athletic. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because I think sometimes Blake uh, really relied on that athleticism to kind of like define who he was. But um, Blake in Detroit, before he got hurt, was really good, Fachi. That Detroit team was just terrible. And that's what I've seen his comparison to. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, the Pacers could use another ball handler, another guy that can be a playmaker. And that's what Boncaro is. He's going to draw attention to him. But yeah, I mean, at the same time, though, this is like 1A, 1B for me. I will be, you know, I'll be ecstatic if they take Jabari Smith number one as well, just because I love his game. Uh, and I know he's your number one, so I don't want to steal too much of your, your stats here. But just the fact that he's a better defender than Paulo, in my opinion, really makes it uh, a tough debate here. Um, and he played with a worse team in Auburn. I, I know that Auburn, I think they were the, uh, the, uh, the SEC champions, if I'm not mistaken. But... Mm -hmm. I just don't necessarily 
think that he played with the right teammates that fit his style of play and get him with Turner and Halliburton and Duarte, I think he could be special. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, just like you mentioned, the 1A, 1B, these are both really talented players that no matter which mock draft you see, it feels like it flips each time. And they it, everybody's going back and forth under who's going to go first, who's going to go second. So many similarities, both freshmen, both you know, 19 years old. But the difference for me is that Jabari Smith, in my mind, is an absolute elite shooter where you hope the shooting comes for Ben Caro, but I also feel like his frame throws me off a little bit. We're talking about Jabari Smith, a seven foot, oh, he's six ten with a seven foot wingspan, power forward out of Auburn. I, I think his upside is is through the roof. Shooting is always going to be needed, and not to compare him to you know Carl Anthony Towns or anything like that. But you're getting an elite shooting big man right over here. Make no mistake about it. Uh, you know, for advanced stats metrics. On tankathon.com, they have his three-point percentage, you know, translating to 38% on the NBA level, which would be great. No one is ever going to complain about that for a guy that's 6'10". Uh, over, average a block per game. You know, you, you talked about how he is defensively. So I think that over there, you know, there's a lot that, that you like. But over, I just feel like when you're talking about a guy of upside, I feel like he's got a lot of upside. Maybe more upside than Bencaro. I think Bencaro is a safer pick in my mind. If you said, hey, who's going to pan out more between the two of them? I'd probably say Paolo. I probably would. But mm-hmm. when you're talking about at the top of who could be more than that, Jabari Smith, to me, I feel like has the highest ceiling. That's a great point. And, and I've just, I kind of have gotten to what other guys have said about this draft class and where they have those two. And I've always felt like Bencaro's gotten the edge over Jabari just by a little bit, and I think it's because of the playmaking ability. Jabari Smith is someone that will desperately need a good playmaker alongside of him definitely, just to be who he is. But I don't know if you watched their game against Jacksonville State, but if you didn't, I'm sure you still saw some of the highlights. The dunk that he had in that game, Jabari Smith, that is, it was phenomenal. It was through the roof, and it showed, okay, he's got some more athleticism than you actually realize. Um, If he's able to grow in that athleticism, be a little bit more physical down low. I think that's really intriguing. Um, I brought it up a couple of weeks ago. Um, I told you guys I'm in a group chat with some guys, and they they brought up Jonathan Sharks from the ringer. He brought up a stat talking about two-point percentage. And Jabari Smith, um, as a big man, or not as a big man, just as a draft prospect out of the top 50, like number one overall picks or like guys picked in the top four maybe. I don't remember how many it was. Like the last the last people that were – I think it was the top 50 over the last four picks. So however many years it is, like the last 12 years, I guess, then he had like the lowest percentage at two-point percentage, which is a little bit concerning because everybody that was drafted higher had higher percentages. And I think that was kind of like telling of who he is and his inside game might not be there. So that is the only thing I will say that a little bit concerns me, but I'm not overly worried about it. I think in the Pacers offense, the way they play, he will fit in just fine. And I think there's a lot to be excited about with Jabari Smith. Oh, there definitely is. I mean, look, there's still stuff of his game that's left to be desired. There were some games where I felt like he kind of disappeared a little bit while Bancaro seemed to be more consistent. But, you know, when you're picking first overall, you're looking for the guy with the highest upside right over there. I feel like if he, if he goes to the right situation, I'm sure the same goes with everybody. Then he could reach his potential over there. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see with that. Um, but I, I'm curious to, you know, kind of hear what made Paolo number one for you. Yeah, so for me, for number one, like I said, I think it's just the playmaking, the, the playmaking ability. Yep. Obviously, his size being on 250 pounds, I feel like. The frame I, I love. I do yeah, love that frame. He is, he is a massive man. And um, I think he can get a shot whenever he wants. There were so many times at Duke where he just put them on his back and said, let's get this win. Um, but at the same time, you know, the outside shooting is not there. So that's that's the only thing I'm a little bit concerned with. But he did hit some big shots in the tournament when I was watching. I'm like, okay, this doesn't seem like it's too big of a moment for him. But there were, like, especially in that last game, I would have I would have preferred to have seen him do a little bit more. But at the same time, I uh, I know UNC was hot and they were had played them well had him scouted pretty well too defensively. I just, I think with Boncaro or Jabari, you really can't go wrong here, Fachi. 
for me, it's almost like 1A, 1B when I'm looking at both these prospects. And it's just like, I think just because he can add that element of playmaking and be a ball handler that can create for others, that's what puts him just a slight notch above Jabari for me. But um, yeah, this is a this is a really tough one here, but they both fit a position of need for the Indiana Pacers. And that's why I've had, I think, one, two, three, four, five of my top 10 play that position of uh, of that small ball four or just a guy that can play the four position in general and, and, and defend like crazy because that's what I see in all these guys. I would say probably Paulo is the worst defender out of the guys that I have in my list. I think I actually have six. I have Murray, Easton, Liddell, Sohan, Smith, and Boncaro. He's probably the worst defender of the six. But offensively, he just is able to do so much more than I think than what those other five can do. Yep, and hey, you know, look, defense is always needed in the NBA, but scoring will always – there's always going to be a spot. And yeah. I just feel like, you know, I, he strikes me as a guy that I could see averaging, you know, 20 points per game one day while Jabari Smith, you hope he does, but you also feel like, hey, you know, he, shooting's always going to be needed. You have a, a big man that can stretch the floor like that. If he can continue to develop in other areas, you already know he's good defensively. Hey, there's always going to be a need for that too. So they kind of bring different things to the table over here, but both are super intriguing prospects. I don't know about you. I I don't see either of them being like a superstar, but you know, I, I do think that they can be very talented. I do think this draft lacks that, you know, that once in every 10 year type of prospect that, you know, we haven't gotten the last few years. Like I don't view Cade Cunningham as that type of prospect. Like, but for instance, Anthony Edwards, I think is a really good player moving forward. Where do you view uh, perhaps, you know, Ben Caro or Jabari Smith in that upper echelon of first overall picks? Mm, this is tough here. You know, you don't ever want to put a ceiling on somebody you know, and you don't want to say, well, they can never reach this potential. Um, I threw out the comparison. Uh, I've heard the comparison for Jabari Smith as a big man, Clay Thompson. I've heard some people use that for Keegan Murray, but I've also heard more people use it for Jabari Smith, which, okay, like that's pretty enticing, you know, but at the same time, like, look, Clay can't do anything without the ball in his hands. Like, uh, or he's not a guy that can do anything with the ball in his hands in terms of a playmaking guard, you know, and that's kind of where I think Jabari is like, okay, he's a massive stretch and shoot kind of guy. What does that translate to? Can he eventually get a, a you know, a pull-up game? Can he eventually get a ball handling game where he can be more of a playmaker? Um, he's only 18 you know 18 years old nine months 18 and nine months old so uh 18 years 19 nine months old good grief I can't talk but um I, I think that there's a much more potential for man I, it's hard to say between the two I will say this out of all the guys in the draft on the draft class that we have here I think there's a a, a chance that both Sharp and Ivy could pass Smith and Boncaro in terms of overall reaching their peak but I also think that Boncaro and Smith, the position, the way the NBA has gone, you want players like this that can play three, four, five. And I think in, in certain cases, they could play small ball five, which is really what this league has turned into. So honestly, I think that's why they're going to go one, two. If Chet's in there, it wouldn't surprise me either. But for the Pacers, um, I think the Pacers probably would prefer Jabari because of the shooting, but um, either way, I don't think you can go wrong here. So this is uh, that's like that's really tough though to determine what I think they could become in the league, Fachi, in terms of a superstar. But that's why I think that Ivy and Sharp's max potential might be at a higher peak than Von Caro and Smith. I don't know if you agree, but that's just where I'm at. I do agree with that because Shane Sharp. Look, I don't want to you know while I'll call him the mystery box, I don't want to put him in a box. I feel like he's someone that could be a superstar. Jay Nivey, you know, guards guards are going to have the ball in their hands more than a guy like Jabari Smith or Ben Carroll would. So I feel like, you know, Jay Nivey could be a guy who's putting up, you know, 20 points per game. So it all depends. You know, it's just – it's really tough. I lean towards uh, Ivy and Sharp having higher ceilings than Ben Carroll and Jabari Smith. And then there might be some other people that might completely disagree with that statement and say, what are you talking about? The guys that are going one and two have less potential than the guys going anywhere from three to six. But that's how I feel. That's how you feel. And there might be some people that overall, so you guys are insane. How do you not love Chet Holmgren? So 
we're all over the place here. That's what the draft board is, though, Fachi. Yep. And I will just tell you this. If your opinion is different than ours, you are not wrong. Um, it's just an opinion. So this is how I feel about it. I'll fight my opinions and we'll discuss them. But it doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, my board's better than Fachi's or vice versa. Um, you know, mine probably is more of a question mark compared to Fachi's because of some of the players that I had. But, you know, I did ask some people what their what their big boards were real quick, Fachi. I'll just read them down. Uh, Ricky Kelly, our good friend, had Jabari Smith, one, Paulo Boncaro, two, Ivy, three, Sharp, four, Holmgren, five, Murray, six, Matherin, seven. And then he said that he didn't need to put eight, nine, or ten because it doesn't matter. <laughs> so um, our friend Aaron M. said, one, Jabari Smith, two, Jaden Ivy, three, Paulo Boncaro, four, Chet Holmgren, five, Keegan Murray, six, Shaden Sharp, seven, Ben Matherin, eight, Usman Diang, nine, Jeremy Sohan, and ten, Patrick Baldwin, Jr., which was a little bit surprising to me. And then our last one here came from Pacer 2000. They had Ivy 1, Bancaro 2, Sharp 3, Smith 4, Matherin 5, Griffin 6, Sohan 7, Eason 8, Duran 9, and Williams 10. Holmgren is a do not draft, so not in top 10. So <laughs> just to kind of see where all the fans are at, um, you know, and it's really funny too, if you look at our commonalities here, Fachi, out of our top 10, AJ Griffin was the only one that we both had at eight. Yeah, Everything else no, that, was different. That That's true. And that just shows that, hey, guys, we're not, like, collaborating on this in advance. This is truly how Alex feels. This is truly how I feel. And sometimes it matches up, sometimes more than others. Sometimes it just flat out doesn't. In this situation, we had one pick the same out of 10. It just shows how close these guys are. And there isn't someone that's running away with it overall are saying hey these are definitely going to be the even the top two players because for all you know check could either go number one you can go number two or whatever it is i mean we still have so many questions and not enough answers at this point yeah. and you know i know the draft is, isn't until june but we're going to get a little bit more clarity on this in about two weeks with the draft lottery and i cannot wait absolutely Fachi. so real quick before we wrap up this podcast let me ask you this Big board aside, if you have the chance to have one person on this Pacers team out of the out of your top ten, who is the guy that you want the most on the Pacers roster? Oh man, that is tough. That really is. Uh man, there, there's there's so many. You can get heat in so many different ways. <laughs> I would just say if we can walk away with Jay Ivey in this draft, I would feel good because I really do feel like having two potentially elite guards can, can rise our ceiling so much. But at the same point, I mean, what if you, you know, pair Paolo with Tyrese Halliburton, and then all of a sudden it just, it's too hard. It really is. I guess I'll lean Jaden Ivey. You know, man, I guess I'm leaning Jaden. I'm torn. Yeah. All right. I got Jaden Sharp. Pretty obvious. You guys know how I feel about him. I'm all in. Uh, that's what I want. I think he's the most intriguing prospect. Obviously, the mystery box. You guys will be like, you guys are crazy. Alex, you're crazy. Why do you like Sharp so much? I'm just telling you, I got a gut feeling about him. If the Pacers are able to get him, I'd be ecstatic about it. Previously, I had Jaden Ivey above him. But I will say this, and if you've noticed it, there were times when Ivey pouted when he didn't get the ball in his hands. And that did turn me off a little bit. I try not to overthink it. But it was brought to my attention by multiple different people. Like, hey, just watch Ivey when he's not got the ball in his hands or if things aren't going good for Purdue, how does he react? Body language is hard to read. Obviously you don't want to get too far to that, but um, haven't seen any body language from Shaden Sharp to, to counter that as well. So, seen anything from Shaden yeah. Sharp, you so know? Um, but I'm just, I'm just going all for, uh, you know, I'm hoping that the Pacers basketball gods be like, okay, you guys took a risk on Jonathan Bender. It didn't work out. Yep. Take did. this risk on Sharp, and I'll make it all work out for you. So, uh, But there is no existing injury history with Sharp either. So with that being said, I'm in love with Shaden Sharp right now. That's the guy that I'd be the most excited about on this base, Steve. Um, but really, I would be ecstatic about about six of them right now, Fachi, maybe seven. Yeah, no, it's such a great spot to be in. I find I would find this draft – hard to leave disappointed there's times in the past where i remember being like goga like who's that you know but, but yeah yeah but this time around it feels like we're gonna get a stud it all just depends where we fall and there's so many guys just like you mentioned i would be thrilled to welcome this team the one thing i will say 
any injury history, it does scare me because this really is a major pick. So anyone without injury history, I feel great about. But man, there's a big shot to hit a home run here, Alex. Absolutely, Flapsy. So we're going to keep those positive vibes. Tell the people where they can find us out on social media. All right. So you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. And you can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And if you're hoping the Pacers land a top pick, a top three pick in the draft lottery next and in two weeks, say these three words. Let's go Pacers! This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.